0: off everything at puffworks.com when you use the affiliate discount code BLWPOD. That's a new code. It's B-L-W-P-O-D. Use that sucker at checkout at puffworks.com and get
1: peanut and tree nut
0: safely out of the way
1: back and my daughter was now 12 months old and I noticed that she hadn't grown as much as older sister and then I started to probe into what was she eating. She maintained her weight from the time I left until the time I came back and that experience just broke me.
0: Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Latifat Okara. She joined me from Nigeria, her home country, where she runs a company called Nom Nom Babies, and she works to provide nutrition education and wholesome foods for babies in her home country of Nigeria and some of the more underserved populations there. So Latifat, she's also a mom of two small girls. She's a student at Harvard working on her master's in public health with an emphasis in nutrition and she also works at the world bank on projects related to helping to reduce malnutrition in the african region so through her business nom nom babies she helps to educate primary care providers and parents about preventing malnutrition And she shared some incredible stories with me about how her own daughter was failing to meet growth milestones because of limited variety of intake when she was a baby and there was a heavy reliance on this food called pap In Nigeria, it's a maize cereal that parents will traditionally use to wean babies, and she'll explain about how it's very high in carbohydrates, fills babies up, but doesn't have the nutrition that they need to promote growth and development. And she gave some incredible insight into the work she's doing to help promote traditional and available foods that have more nutrition than just using corn. And so she's talking to you guys about how to feed babies foods like crayfish and brown beans and mixing egg yolk with plantains. I think you guys are really going to love Latifat's message, which essentially is that babies can eat so many more foods than we often give them credit for. In Nigeria, one in five children is malnourished, and as Latifat will share, through the work that she's doing in the process of unlearning and relearning, she's really working to help redirect how drivers like racial discrimination, cultural beliefs, poverty, and maternal education determine food choices and preferences for families in those underserved parts of Nigeria where she works. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Latifat Okara of Nom Nom Babies. Oh, and I asked her about her use of the word nom nom in her business name. And because, you know, in the U.S., it has this kind of like super trendy foodie connotation. And she laughed when I said that. And she said, oh, no, nom nom is the sound of pleasure that a baby makes when she's discovering the joy of eating food. So with no further ado, here is
1: Latifat Okara.
0: Well, hello, Latifat, and thank you so much for joining me
1: here on the podcast today. Hi, Casey. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me now.
0: You have a very interesting history in nutrition, how you personally became involved and what you've been doing from a research and a business standpoint. I'm so excited to share your story with our audience. And I was wondering if you could just tell us how did you become interested in feeding babies?
1: There are different approaches to look at it. So the first is when I started winning my first daughter, when she was turning six months and I needed to get ready to start feeding her complimentary foods. So I went to the stores and I wasn't impressed by the amount of processed foods I found on the shelf. So at that point, I started doing some research around recipes, what nutrients she needed for her growing body. I was fortunate enough that nutrition from a very early age has a lot of influence on a child's cognitive behaviors, um, emotional health, and all of that. So I started researching recipes and invested some time and effort in making her foods myself. I started her on fruits, vegetables and fruit and animal protein purees. And that inspired me to just in doing that work and seeing how my child was growing, getting the right nutrients, I got inspired to start at a nutrition education company and an online community called Nomnom Babies. So however, while I was doing all that, I started getting questions from some mothers who had similar concerns and needed to feed their kids healthy food as well. So I knew at that point that, okay, you know what, why don't I just go and learn, get some more education around The concept of public health nutrition specifically and that was when i moved to harvard however my move to harvard meant that i had to leave my second daughter now who was eight months old in nigeria with my family who unfortunately didn't have so much knowledge about the importance of infant nutrition and that experience kind of confirmed the reason why i was doing what i was doing so Four months down the line, I came back and my daughter was now about 12 months old, 11, 12 months old, and I noticed that she hadn't grown as much as older sister. And then I started to probe into, okay, what, she, what was she eating? What were the gaps, right? And then I realized that she, while I had the resources to provide her good food, my caregivers didn't have the knowledge and the importance of nutrition on how to combine these foods, on what food she needed to be eating. So. She maintained her weight for the, from the time I left until the time I came back. And that experience just broke me.
0: Whoa, so so you were gone for four months at Harvard. You left when your daughter was eight months. And when you came back, you're saying she had gained almost no weight over four months? She had gained no weight. Wow, so what did you end up doing then? I mean, that would be such a frightening situation.
1: Yeah, it was, it was heartbreaking, Katie, I must say. And what I did was to educate, because I knew I had to go back to school, I had started this course, I just knew I needed to finish. So what I did was to now, um, I educated my caregivers, my mother-in-law, my husband, everybody knew how to make baby food. I mean, they knew the importance of making baby food, I just knew I had to start delegating at that time. So I started her off on iron-rich purees. I started her off on how we can, uh, started her off on iron-rich purees, ba- other kind of baby foods, like the, using our staple foods, also to do um, finger foods, making sure that she eats herself one egg a day, just based iron, meat, fish in her food, and just building her immunity, building her weight. And she improved and she looked better. She looked happier as well. And so when I got back, I would always ask, okay, what is she eating today? I drew up a timetable as well, made sure that she always had the right food to eat at every point in time, in the right amount, and the number of the frequency of eating. So yeah, so I, that was what I did. And and yeah, so that's basically um, my story and how I became interested. And now I'm even more interested because I've seen the good side in where I was being, I was available to provide the right food for my first child. And then for the second one, how I had to also use that opportunity and turn it into something like a learning curve for me on how to improve nutrition for kids. So for me, this was like, I have the resources, this is how I feel about, and yet I couldn't even, my second child had that deficiency. I want to help other mothers avoid this compromise. And so I started investing more in nom nom babies, providing the education out there and the nutrition education that mothers actually need. So you
0: mentioned traditional staple foods in Nigeria. And before we started recording, we were chatting, you were telling me about PAP. And I was wondering if you could explain to our listeners, what what do parents traditionally feed babies in Nigeria? And at what age do they start the weaning process?
1: Okay, I, um, I would say majority of the mothers I have spoken to, and even the mothers I have met in primary health care centers, because one of the initiatives of nom non babies is to work with mothers in underserved populations through primary health care centers to provide them with the education, nutrition education that they need. And also, I kind of use that as an opportunity to provide mothers with free purees that I make, provide it to mothers in under-served population for free. So um, what I have noticed from my interaction with them is that they usually start off um, weaning their babies at about five months old or six months for most of them, but the majority of them start at five months old. And they give these, there's this um, the staple food called PAP. Pap is made of maize, right, which is a very high carbohydrate food. So, what it does is that it fills your child up, but your child isn't really getting all the nutrients that he or she needs to grow, right? So, and that's kind of that was really, really common from my conversation with most of the, the mothers that I met. And that's one common staple food that's common staple cereal that is affordable and it's very um, accessible as well to most mothers when they are starting to feed their kids. The interesting thing about PAP is that I have never seen any child that has refused PAP. So it's very easy for mothers to turn to consuming PAP as a staple food for a child. Again, nutrition deficiencies when you are only relying on PAP.
0: This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit BetterHelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. So if the Papa's cornmeal or like corn, I guess we would call it cornmeal, what is it mixed with? Is it made into like a gruel or a soup or it's, served, it's wetter, is that correct?
1: No, it's um it's actually made in a way that you buy it solidified and uh-huh. then you kind of melt it with some water and then add hot water to it. So it becomes like a porridge.
0: And it's pure carbohydrate basically. there's there's not really any protein, there's no fat, there's no, no there's definitely no iron. iron. Pure okay.
1: carbohydrates. yeah, it's pure car- carbohydrate. So some mothers in- add can add maybe crayfish for protein. And then add the baby's milk to it. But well, most of the times, you can just add your baby's milk to it. But the phase is carbohydrates. It's just really. And
0: I like what you said, which was no child has refused it because carbohydrates are slightly on the sweeter side. It's easy to feed. And then, of course, it fills you up as high carbohydrate foods will. So the baby feels full and stops eating. Yet, unfortunately, it doesn't contain the entirety of the nutrients that the babies need for adequate growth. And you saw that with your. Your daughter. So can I ask you, with your education component of Nom Nom babies, knowing that the base of the traditional foods there would be very high in carbohydrate, what sort of local foods are available that would have a more appropriate nutrient mix? Like what kind of foods can you recommend to the moms to feed that they can easily get?
1: Hmm. Yeah, so there, there are a number, there are a lot of Nigerian meals that moms can use. But again, education, awareness really matters on how you can modify that recipe to become a baby-friendly meal, right? So some of them that I can easily lay my hands on right now is plantain. So plantain is common, it's very accessible in the market, on the streets, right? So plantains are high in vitamin A, high in vitamin C, high in potassium, and that can, become, that can replace the amount of time you give your child pap, for example. So how I make for a, for a baby whos who you're starting off um, as a complementary food, and if you want to do the purees, you can actually blend plantains, egg yolk, right? That is a very good recipe that my daughter has never refused. So other ways that it can be done, plantains with green peas, they can also be fried as good finger foods for babies. They can be made as um, plantain chips, right, for older kids or toddlers as Finger foods and just leave it there. The baby feeds herself or himself with that food. It's a good baby led winning recipe, and that's a local staple. Another one is um, that is not carbohydrate, is akara. Akara is made out of beans, right? So blended and fried beans is called akara. It's a snack and it's healthy and it can be used as a snack. It can be used as a main meal for a child who is maybe starting off trying to learn how to chew, how to feed himself fincer grape i mean these are some from staples that can also replace the traditional corn based meal can i ask you paste. about
0: the akara what when we say beans in the us like i think okay green beans which are a vegetable or legumes which are like a dried bean is that what you're talking of the higher in iron
1: yes yes And then the akara, you
0: if you dry the beans, like do you soak them and then cook them and then they're yes,
1: exactly. You soak them and they become soft enough. Then you can blend them. You can blend them. Add your crayfish, which is great in protein, right? Add your crayfish. Add some salt and fry. Fry the uh, the paste. So you blend it and it becomes a paste, thick enough to be fried, not watery for pancake or something like that, but thick enough to be fried in. Um, vegetable oil, and that can be a good snack for an older kid.
0: Oh, that's amazing. And so you're you're getting some iron from the beans, you're getting protein and other minerals from the crayfish, that's fabulous. So can I ask you a little bit about nuts? Because in the United States, we follow guidelines and guidance that shows us that the earlier introduction of particularly peanuts, as well as some of the allergenic foods, that helps prevent food allergy down the road are nuts part of the traditional weaning diet or something that babies would be exposed to early on in Nigeria or not?
1: Um, some, pro- some brands include nuts in their baby foods, but some brands don't. So, but if you're doing it homemade, that's absolutely, I think it's great to introduce nuts. So peanuts specifically, because that's the common one in Nigeria. So we don't, there's cashew nuts, but sometimes most of them are imported, so the cost is high. But I'm just really going to narrow the options to what is available and affordable for every average home in Nigeria. So peanuts, right? It's very affordable and it's available. It's something that should be introduced early enough, like you said, to because nuts are one of the allergenic foods. So the earlier you introduce them, there are studies to have, that have, that have shown that the earlier introduced nuts It helps the baby to become less allergenic to such foods later on. So Latifa, can you tell
0: me a little bit about your own personal experiences starting solids as a child and how that kind of set the stage for your later interest in public health nutrition?
1: So I can only speak to what I was told as a child starting solids because I couldn't exactly remember. I was very selective with food. I wouldn't eat and I I was always falling ill. And so that was a big challenge for my grandparents then. And so I grew up in Nigeria and one of the things that was very common is the use of traditional medicine as a way to heal or cure sicknesses that, or cure children that you feel that, okay, they are always falling ill, right? And by doing that, they would normally maybe have like facial scarifications for that child. So I had that facial scarification as a child. And that was how I started asking the question, what happened? Why was my face scarified with with marks? And so the answer was that, oh, you used to always fall sick as a child. You never liked to eat. You would always select your food. And so that was why we resolved to this method to make you better and to make you feel better. So anyway, growing up, I just didn't like that part of my story. Well, I decided to use that as a way to be determined that, you know what, I'm going to make a difference with my own children. I wouldn't term them as being fussy eaters. I would find ways to make sure that they're eating better rather than resolving to methods that might affect their self-esteem or self-image later on in life.
0: Is facial scarification still a common practice in parts of Nigeria for picky eaters?
1: I don't think. I don't think so. Now, facial scarifications are done for several reasons. In some parts of Nigeria, it is done as a way to identify that child as being part of a certain culture. right? So it is common within some cultures. So if you're from a particular place, you will always have facial scarifications regardless of the fact that you were ill or not. So in some other places, it was a way, it was, facial scarification was done as a means of treatment. So in my case, it was done as a means of treatment.
0: In researching the work that you're doing, I came across a quotation where you said that it's important to understand how drivers like racial discrimination, cultural beliefs, poverty, and maternal education determine food choices and preference for families around the world. Mm -hmm. I was curious if you had any insight on how we can dismantle these drivers, racial discrimination, cultural beliefs, etc., as it applies to feeding our kids or allowing the kids to learn how to feed themselves, any thoughts there
1: Yeah, I would say one of the key things that we need to do is on learning and relearning right and making sure that we have we put the information out there as much as we can and the reason is because we have this belief or this notion where we associate being chubby and a child being full with being healthy right and that's just a cultural thing so for People who grew up that way, they do not subscribe to baby-led winning because the baby-led winning approach really advocates and it buys into the idea of giving children control over their approach to food, which is great, right? Well, however, this could be challenging in cultures that subscribe to the idea that children are children; they do not know what they want, they do not know when they are full, and that's. And from my experience, that's not exactly the case. Like adults, children approach food when they are hungry. They would give you signs when they are full as well. Having that at the back of your mind, and this is where you're coming from, this is your knowledge, and you believe that children do not know what they are doing, they do not know when they are full. So you would insist on how much should be in their spoons because that's what we are used to, and that's the culture. One of the key things that we can do to dismantle those kind of barriers is providing the information out there on learning what we were used to and relearning new approaches on how to give children control. If we're able to do that, then we can advocate more on how kids can take control of their foods. People, children can have good relationship with food and become adventurers. They can explore with their food and that would eliminate the barriers of cultural beliefs. On the other hand, maternal education, there have also been studies that show that as much as we can have a good food product, which is one of the experiences that I had when I wanted to start when I started nom, nom babies, providing the food wasn't just enough. So mothers, fathers, or the caregivers, whoever is in charge of taking care of that child and making sure that child eats the right food, needs to be aware of what food the child needs. So that's where maternal education. So again, unlearning, learning, relearning, putting the information out there, just keep doing what we're doing, making sure we're reaching as much people that we can, would gradually dismantle these drivers that are barriers that seem like barriers to to help optimal nutrition for children.
0: And I love the way you say unlearning and relearning, because one thing that I'm always so impressed with is parents who will say, gosh, my baby can eat so many more foods than I give them credit for. And your story has the same underpinnings. You say, usually they're just having a maze, the pap, which is just carbohydrate. And here you are showing people, gosh, this is how you can incorporate crayfish and beans and egg yolk and all these different foods that we sometimes, we just assume a baby can't eat it because We've never seen otherwise, or we've been told that, or it's been passed down from generation to generation. So I love that the message that we're both sharing globally is, no, your baby can do so much more than we give them credit for. Can you talk a little bit about food access in Nigeria? Because- of course, it's wonderful to feed your baby high-protein foods and iron foods and fruits and vegetables, but what are the real issues about access in the communities that you're working in?
1: So as much as we talk about proteins, your child needs iron, your child needs this, and your child needs that, but Nigeria is still car- characterized by high reliance on food imports, and that's just the way it is right now. So, and um, and that's malnutrition is a widespread issue in the entire country especially in the rural areas and where vulnerable people uh where that puts people in vulnerable vulnerable positions of chronic food shortages and so there's just really an imbalance because of the total lack of food supply and that's also because it is highly reliant on food imports food access in nigeria is still very reliant on food imports it's not as accessible as it should be. Um, even when it is accessible, the healthy food options are expensive. And that's how the food system is currently. And is, it's a challenge in itself on how we can go past that and make healthy foods available. Unlike in the U.S. where we have um, where a number of places, there has been policy advocacy that has led um, places to have uh, local farmers markets that make healthy food options cheaper and more available. We do not have that in most parts of the developing world, right? and in rural areas specifically. So that's, that's a challenge in itself.
0: Can you talk a little bit about traditional staple Nigerian meals that could possibly be modified for baby led weaning? Because as you mentioned, there is a reliance on food import. There are issues of chronic food shortages. So what can parents in Nigeria do to make the foods that they do have access to more nutritious and more appropriate to promote the baby's growth?
1: Like I mentioned before, some of the foods like plantains can be made as plantain is a staple food. Yam is carbohydrate, but it's also a staple food that can be tweaked in so many ways. Boiled, fried, can be used as a way to introduce baby-led weaning for for kids. And then also beans can be made into akara as a snack. That's a good baby-led weaning food that would increase the pincer grape, that would kind of teach children pincer grape, foster independence, chewing, and so on. There's also another snack that's made out of flour and that's puff puff. So puff puff is one snack i always make for my kids and just put it their kids love it they can get busy on that snack for a long time. These are all common. What is that made out of? It's made out of flour. Out of flour. Yeah.
0: Are there whole grain flours or are most of the flours highly refined?
1: Um, there's whole grain flour which is pricey but there's highly refined flour as well which is very common. That is used to make bread.
0: What about protein foods? You had mentioned Crayfish as an animal food. What other animal foods are available, if there are any?
1: Mm-hmm. There's beef, that's animal foods. And yes, beef is very common as well. Fish is also really common. But it's just access and affordability, right? But the cheapest option is fish. There's crayfish, which is very cheap. There's tilapia fish. fish. Um, then meat is also something that kids should, uh, we need to advocate more that kids should have in most of the underserved population, they can't even afford meat for adults in that family, let alone thinking about, okay, a child is learning how to eat with meat, right? So which is why I mentioned the crayfish, including adding crayfish, incorporating that crayfish into most of your food, into most of the baby food is a good way to introduce a balanced food for that child. Also eggs as well. There are different ways eggs can be incorporated into baby's foods either boiled or the egg yolk blended with plantain. That's a very good recipe. and Or even blending that with fruits like carrots has also been tested as a very good recipe that has been accepted by kids. most kids that I've worked with.
0: You mentioned blending the eggs with the plantains. Is it something that you then cook or is that served raw?
1: No, no, no. It's a hard boiled egg.
0: Okay, and then you mash that with the cooked plantain? Yes. Okay. How about any steps you could recommend or ideas for improving access to healthy food options in the underserved communities that you're working with?
1: Okay. I, I would say local investments. I mean, there's a call for the government to introduce agricultural subsidies for farmers so that fertilizers can be more affordable. We need to invest in water, making water available for farmers as well, because um, these are ways that we can improve production volume and making sure that food is accessible to larger number of people in various populations. From the high income, middle income, low income, we need to invest more in agricultural subsidies for farmers. That's from the government aspects side. And also investing into yeah, local investments, making sure that people who are really companies, uh, local companies who want to invest in baby foods or producing foods with uh, traditional recipes and ingredients have the right funding to do that. And farmers have the right subsidies to afford fertilizers. They have access to good water. And so, yeah, that's that's those are some of the ways we can improve access to healthy food options.
0: It's fascinating to hear you speak about the communities you work with and things that in the United States we just take for granted. Access, clean water. I mean, that is so crucial that some people in the United States never even have to think twice about. So I thank you for highlighting these important things that parents are dealing with that are in many ways similar, but often in many ways different than what you may typically encounter in the United States. And I'm interested to know for you, Latifat, what's next when you finish your studies at Harvard and you complete your work with the World Bank where do you hope to take your company, Nom Nom Foods? In what direction? What can we expect to learn more from you in the future?
1: I really want to take Nom Nom into the point where we are providing nutritious baby foods for more of the more people in the underserved population. I mean, the work that I do with the primary health care center is very fulfilling, just seeing and being able to provide good food, the same quality of food that a um, that the high class family or someone from a um, privileged economic class, right, can afford, someone who is in an underserved population can also afford the same food. Because at the end of the day, we're thinking about the kids and not just necessarily the families, right? We're thinking about the children. They deserve to have good food. Children deserve to have good food. They deserve to have similar access to good education the same way, right? So I am more of, channeling the business model for nom babies into a business that can provide affordable, nutritious foods for people in the underserved population as much as it can also provide for those in, that can afford it, right? So yeah, so that's where I see myself taking it into going, working more with primary healthcare centers, working, working more with the government, more, working more in populations that cannot afford good food the nutrition education out there through my website and through my Instagram page and also just providing that food that is very affordable and sometimes even really free.
0: And Latifat, where can we go to learn more about the work that you're doing?
1: Okay, thanks Katie. Please, I would say follow me on my Instagram page and my Instagram handle is nomnom_babies. underscore babies. So most of the work that I do would be on my Instagram page.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us the work that you're doing, your personal story. You're raising two little girls at the same time, going to school, working for the World Bank, running a business. I mean, this is very, very impressive. And for taking the time to share with our audience, I can't thank you enough.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks. It was really nice talking to you too. And I really admire the work that you're doing. Well done. Thank you.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. I have another question, though. In Nigeria, is the term nom-nom used? Like, is that a term that they're familiar with, the people you work with?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, Nom-nom is kind of the sound that babies make when they're enjoying their meal. So that's where that name comes from. I love
0: that. It It has a very different connotation in the US, kind of ascribed to like the foodie population. And I've never heard it described as basically, it's what babies say when they're enjoying and eating food. I love that yeah all right well thank you
1: so much i really appreciate this thank you thanks i really i really enjoyed doing this too
0: wow well i really hope you guys enjoyed that episode with latifat okara I learned so much. I mean, her story about facial scarification as a way to treat picky eating, like, oh my gosh. And then I don't know if you guys caught the timeline, but basically when her second baby was born, then the baby was eight months old, then Latifat moved to Boston from Nigeria and had to leave her baby at home with her family. And then four months later when she returned, so she's going to Harvard and then she comes home and her baby hasn't grown at all. She literally told me, she's like, she hadn't even gained hardly any weight. And so we were chatting before the interview and she was, I wish I'd recorded it because she's sharing great info about the therapeutic approaches that she used and the foods that she tried to reintroduce to her baby to help her gain weight and how she started, she recovered and she was looking healthier and happier and regained the joy in eating. I mean, her story is incredible. And that inspired her then to kind of start focusing on this area of the, the importance of introduction of solid foods. And I also really enjoyed hearing about the locally available foods that she is trying to normalize for babies to eat so things like crayfish and brown beans and peanuts and egg yolk plantains things that even though you may be listening to this podcast halfway around the world from nigeria you're certainly also aware of the reality that babies can eat so many more foods than we give them credit for and nutritionally they need to, they cannot just subsist on a high carbohydrate diet that fills the baby up, but that does not provide the other important nutrients they need for growth during that crucial weaning period. And one other thing I wanted to add is the company that she's getting off the ground in Nigeria, it's called Nom Nom Babies. So if you're on Instagram, it's at Nam underscore babies, and I'll link to her work as well as some articles about Latifat And her Instagram, I'll do that all on the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com slash 38. So thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this interview with Latifat Okara about healthy baby food in Nigeria.